You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad, and I get the chance to chat with people who have um, connections on both sides of the Atlantic and have deep roots on both sides of the Atlantic. Most of them started on the other side of the Atlantic and migrated over here. And Davy O'Donoghue is one of them. And I'm sitting across with Dave from Davy in the Heart and Crown and Strandhard Road uh, on the outskirts of Ottawa. And first of all, and Davy is a good Limerick man. David, thanks a million for taking time and being willing to come and have a chat. Every time you want a chat, I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're, we don't want to get to the finish line. That's my job, is to keep you from the finish line until it's time to get there. But you're, you're a Limerick man. Limerick, born and bred and bottled in Castle Connell. Uh, no one would say hurling-wise would be a ham. The home of McMackey. Right. And uh, five sisters, a brother, all could sing. The brother sang with the, the lucky numbers for years out of few hits. Right. Uh, so you mentioned hurling. Were you they, like you when you started out? We all grew up going out on the street and either kicking a ball or banging a ball, a slither with a stick. If there was no formality ever. That would have been where the, the environment. Hurling, uh, where I come from, every kid played hurling. Uh, you played for school. You played in the streets. Um, I don't think I ever seen a football until I would say growing up, not in my neck of the woods anyway. There might be after somebody killed a pig and they take the bladder. <laughs> that was the only football I ever seen. And isn't it interesting the way you say that about hurling? That how you have pockets in Ireland, some of them are counties, but some of them are places in counties yeah. that are strong one way or another. Han was complete. I've got a, a niece's daughter in Ireland now. She's a fanatic for hurling. The rest of them get a kick out of it. Like she hurls morning and noon and night. She has her supper and she's out in the field and her own. And of course that's the days of Camogie are gone really. It's yeah. they're not it's now hurling. Yeah. Which is brilliant. It, I think so. It it should never been crossed over. No. And that's God I followed football and we're actually we're watching soccer as we're talking. Um baseball, you name it, but I don't think there's a sport on earth that matches hurling. No. There's a passion in it, there's a skill in it, so I think that it's the passion, you know. But not only that, it's raw. It's raw. And when I yeah. said that, I remember, and you might have been at it, we weren't here that long, and there was, um, down in the sky goal, there was a hurling game. No. We went down on the bus. Would have been back in 1988 or 89. I don't know. Right, way back then. Yeah. I remember that. And here there were some Canadians sitting on the side. And they're looking out of it. And they said, they have no pads on. No. They have no clothes <laughs> And they're not getting paid. And they have no helmets on. <laughs> and at that stage, they no, And they weren't getting paid. Yeah. And um, the speed, the agility, and the, just the passion. And being handy dexterous. Like, you're a hockey player. You either shoot left or you shoot right. right soccer player most of them will shoot right or left again hurling it's you know and be reckless now I will concede though that ice hockey is a phenomenal game but it's not you're not running no and and there's nothing like hurling and you got enough equipment done to weigh down a good man (laughs) But, but it is a phenomenal game and so did you play yourself I played I don't know, 12 years old or something right. for a hand. Um, the next time I can remember playing actually was in Canada. I played for Montreal. 
Now I'm jumping ahead of you. Yeah, yeah, but that's okay. We'll, we'll um, pull you back. You know, I, uh, when I left England, right. I didn't hurl in England, I came to um, Canada to work for the Governor General. Right. And one morning I picked up the Montreal Gazette and there was a whole article in Hurland in Montreal, this guy driving along seeing this game that he didn't know what it was, yeah. went then, interviewed the guys and done a big uh, thing on it. So I wrote to him and about four weeks later I got an answer that the reporter had left Montreal and gone to Boston. But they passed on the letter and he sent it back to Montreal and somehow it got into the um, the Shamrocks. Okay. And Kevin Maloney knocked the government house one Sunday night with six hurleys and two slippers for me. If I could get something going. And at that time I knew no Irish guys. Right. You know, so I'd go out myself and keep banging around. But then later on I got to know the Montreal guys because right. I, I wrote back and then I go down and play with them right. so we'll, we'll wind the sad fact now so um, 12 years of age you're, you're back in County Limerick where'd you go to secondary school I didn't good on you <laughs> my first education was when I wrote out a resume whatever you wanted I put down there <laughs> so I, I, I left hung, uh, hung around worked in the bog, worked for farmers, delivered milk, that kind of thing. Uh, then went to England, uh, carried bricks until I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. And then I applied and got a job as uh, a footman, which is a kind of a step down from being a butler for McDonald Buchanan, who owns uh, black and white Scotch biscuit. All right. So, again, he asked me what I could do. I said, whatever you want. And they had a house in Northampton, another one in London, uh, Newmarket, and Scotland, up in the, up in the Highlands. They had about 6,000 acres for shooting deer. So, done that. Then I got kind of... England was funny then. This was around 1957 and what have you when I went there. There was lots of strikes. And I don't want to say this wrong, but any time you'd meet the Irish in a pub, it was rowdy and fights in right. the garden. Right. They didn't show a bit in it. So I went to an agency, asked for a foreign post, because there was an agency who would do that. So uh, I was offered a job to work for the ambassador to Cuba from the States. So I'd be in Cuba, and then the Cuban thing started, that cancelled out, and was also offered a job in Canada at the government house for Governor General Vanier. So I took that to come over here in 1960. So that was the, the start of my immigration over here. No, I'm going to wheel you back another piece oh, there right. because you mentioned there that when you were growing up, how you were delivering milk and things. And like I remember the milk being brought around. Like you mentioned that to someone now, doesn't have a clue what you were talking about. But in the morning, uh, what was his name? Captain Bailey from Bloomfield Dairy. Said lovely name. He used to pick us up at three o'clock in the morning, and he'd bring him down to the house and he'd give us all four sausages. I remember that was the breakfast, right. and that was better than a week's wages. The morning you get at home. So um, then we would deliver until eleven, go home, and he'd pick you up again at four, and then do the evening run. So, were you dealing with Billy cans or were you dealing with bottles? 
you were, we were cans. You were cans. It was always yeah. taffet in and a bit for the cat. Yeah. So, and this was when the cream would come to the top. That's that was, right. Yeah. It was, but it was, it was different. A lot of people would leave the can outside yeah. the door, and other people you had to walk in and yeah. go to the kitchen. You yeah. just walk in, you know, five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. We've done that, and God, the name just came to me. Turns Keen, and I cut turf one summer. And we were two young guys, right. and we thought we were men. And other guys, men going into the bog then would stop in, you know, if you have a cup of tea, they would jump into the bog hole, and they would do more than a half an hour than we would do all day. But right. 20 years later, we realized what they were doing. Right. It, it, at that time, everybody had to do what they had to do or yeah. could do. Yeah. You know, I remember grown men hanging around, no work, yeah. no prospects of work. Yeah. So um, I took off for England. If when you said that as well, I was chatting, uh, when I was chatting earlier on today with someone that I was saying I'd been listening to someone talking, they were from Dublin. And they said they were from a working part, class part of Dublin where nobody worked. So <laughs> <laughs> well, Connor was a lot like that at that time. It, it was sad, you know, like you had grown men that didn't want to leave and they had affiliations to the, you know, families and they wanted to get married. They wanted to do this. And, um, and eventually then they would immigrate. It was what Ireland was at that. That was yeah. the biggest export. Yeah. You know. Uh, um, so, and again, the logical step for so many was to go to England. Yeah. Um, and it was an easy. And, and when you were going, many when they leave would say, "Well, you know, it's only literally a, a boat ride across. I can come back easily and go over easily and all the rest." It never works out like that. No, I went. I think back twice in two years or something. If that, because I don't know if it's an Irish thing, but it was a niche, or in I wanted then it was in me. I, I would like to see Australia. I would like to see here and there. Then I wound up in Canada, and I absolutely know nothing about it. My impression of Canada was I knew it had Niagara Falls, and I knew it had the Rockies. My impression was Nelson Eddy and Jeanette McDonald in brilliant sunshine riding through the Rockies. And that was my romantic... But I'm calling you. I was in. That was that. I arrived in Canada the 28th of February 1960. It was the biggest snowfall they had in years. No overcoat. A light blue suit with mushroom-colored suede shoes, and <laughs> definitely heard nobody singing <laughs> "Rock Through the Rockies." Um, <laughs> and um, but at least you were coming into a job. Yeah, because again, so many would come over on spec. A lot of people did, and they were arriving in places where they weren't welcome either. Yes, like the Irish weren't that welcomed, let's say, in Toronto and different places yeah. at the, the beginning. Now it's different. But way back in the 60s, it was a different couple of years. But uh, yeah, I know because Pat Scott talked very much about that and uh, how when he came over, it was. Um, him coming from the south of Ireland taking a job at the level that he was in management wasn't yeah. considered kosher. Scott, well, he was here before me, but I didn't meet any of the Irish guys for about a year. 
uh, I was thinking coming over in the car because um, Seamus Begley's death today mm. reminded me of tradition. Uh, the only Irishman I met for about a year was Dr. Kiernan. He used to come up to Government House. He was mm-hmm. the Irish ambassador. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he was Delia Murphy's mm-hmm. husband. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, that's one thing I can say to you. But then, <laughs> several years later, we we'll would say about six years later, now I meet Aidan O'Hara. Aidan O'Hara wrote a book on Delia Murphy, which is a great book. And then years again later, I meet Delia Murphy out in Smith's Falls. And it's funny the way you can, yeah, you're jumping in tens, but you're getting there, you know. Right, right. And he used to come to Government House and bring, uh, he always brought a carton of uh, gold flake. Okay. Yeah. So. Tell me, back then, when you came in 1960, um, were you aware of or did you know of many Irish in and around the Ottawa area or were there very few like I told you I didn't need one for a year yeah then somebody says uh, if you want to meet Irish guys you've got to go to St. Pat's church for the 12 o'clock mass right and it says you've got to wait till everybody leaves and those that's left are the Irish right. so I do that and I go over I Don Cadena uh Oh God, I forget Tommy Burns. A whole bunch of guys, they're all gone. Probably Ben Coffey would have been around then, was he? Ben would be there, but you see, the reason they hung around was to see who was going for a pint in Hull. Yeah. yeah. So I went over and then, oh, what do you do next? Uh, then was house parties every weekend. Right. Because, like, again, there was no nightclubs. Yeah. It was a different thing. Uh, so the first. I think it was Ben Coffey's. And they're there. Chris Murphy's there. And he plays the flute, sings a song. Margie sings a song. Then they look at me, the new kid. Can you sing? So I sing. That kind of went on for years. And that's how, we say, the Celts were bought. Right. And singing in houses. And somebody say, oh, Father, such and such is leaving. And we put on a semi half-assed concert, you know. Right. Um, it kind of went from there. Now, you've jumped ahead there. But we should let everyone know that when you talk about the music, that you spent many years in the music uh, performing, and uh, so um, I, the, the Celts was what you called yourselves at that time. Back in the early 60s, it was the Celts. It was Joe McFadden, uh, Ali Carson, Aidan O'Hara, and myself. Right. And were you... Just local, or did you then? I know oh, no, you, I, I knew, know you toured. Yeah, we went on the road. Uh, we would do Northern Ontario, Toronto, Sarnia, that kind of thing. And then we got uh, into the the university kind of circle. Let's sing out, kind of traveled a bit with uh, Bruce Lang, song. Uh, and the folk music was kind of coming into the universities and it was a great audience you could stand up and sing anything mm-hmm. uh, but you would introduce it tell it where it's from how it came about and they soaked it up like a sponge mm-hmm. um, yeah we traveled a lot but when we came back into town then years later uh, um, Aidan and uh, Alex were married right. and wanted to come off the road 
so then Joe and I kind of formed another band that lasted maybe three months. We'd done the Talisman for 22 weeks. And at that time, you sang uh, six days a week. Right. And Sunday was traveling. And it was a one week and a one week option, so we held a record for that. Right. And uh, I was talking to Aidan O'Hara on Ireland about it for Christmas. And he was laughing about, he said, you remember when we went to Toronto? We played New Year's Eve here. Right. Uh, drove to Toronto in a snowstorm. Got there just in time at the Savern Hotel. The Savern holds 666 people. I remember it because on the night, New Year's night, there were six people in the place. The following day on the Toronto Star, two pages in the middle was started off with four odd bods and four assorted rumpled sweaters give us a weak impression of the Clancy Blacks and he tore the living Jesus out of us for two, two full pages we were completely depressed and we had to go out to Chin Radio to do an interview out comes Mike Shaughnessy. He had a radio show there. He got oh, Jesus, that was fantastic. Where are you kidding? He tore us to pieces. He says, they never shooted a dead duck by. They never shooted a dead duck. I remember it in my life. Tuesday night, the place was packed because the Irish rugby guys seemed put those Irish guys down there. The place was packed from then on. Four odd bods and four sorts of rumpled sweaters. Come back to your family, because you said your music was in the family. My mother was a great singer, really good singer. Father was a tenor, uh, sang in St. Mary's in front in uh, Limerick. Uh, I sang St. Bridget's in Castle Connell. Um, I have a sister that is doing a lot now, Philomena. She does a lot. Uh, she's on Facebook a lot. She does a lot of um, online concerts. That's yeah, yeah, concerts and sessions, and yeah. uh, does a lot of charity work. Like my brother Alfie was the leader of uh, the show band. He had a number one hit about Brian Baru. Now I forget the name of the song. Uh, I'll be informed later if my sister's here. That, and then uh, I have a, a sister, Annie, really good singer. Maureen is a good singer. Yeah, they're, they all sing. And you were encouraged? We Probably all sang. It, it, was, it was the nature of the beast, you know. Like, yeah. uh, you didn't have albums. You didn't have, if you heard something on the radio and if you really liked it, you'd head into Limerick and go to Woolworths and there's always a guy outside Woolworths selling you the the words of these songs right. for two pennies right and that, that was your catalogue right and then I sang in school um, a lot of stuff is coming where you got me talking I sang in the silver mines it was probably the first time I went out of Castle Connell uh, it was the night my grandmother died I remember it because some of my uncles are saying I should the rest of them are saying I shouldn't and all this kind of yeah, one yeah. of them said to hell with it and took me to the scrum and she was from Tipperary no Limerick well Silver Mines is Silver Mines is in Tipperary that means I went on the road <laughs> yeah so in the early age went up to sing in some concert alright and the more you talk the more this stuff comes back there was another guy that lived on, on Garden Hill in Castle Connell uh, Donald Coffey went to school with him 
and he he was going up there singing to and he's I remember because he sang sang to Lucia in Gaelic. And I always remember that my numbers were always rebel songs, Kevin right. Barry and Bull of Hogan and so, right. so. So then, when you arrive over here and you, um, you're here, how long did you stay at the Governor General, sir? Did you two years? And then was it? Did you? Then I became a butcher. Oh, okay. I worked for Loblaws for about a year. Right. And uh, then I worked for Union Electric. And then we kind of. The Celts are starting, but it's amateur stuff. It's like showing up on Friday night at the Bell Player and singing for nothing, and then people are sending over beer and that kind of thing. And then it kind of evolves slowly. But then I remember Sean O'Reilly. He was a high school teacher, him and Anne, and out of the house and he had a piano. And I'd be singing, and he'd be correcting me and telling me how to open my mouth and how to enunciate of course I was from Limerick nobody could understand me <laughs> and I'm talking I'm talking about the Canadians I'm talking about the Canadians take the potato out of your mouth yeah and um, then we're kind of putting things together and we put on I don't know what year this is we put on a concert called Aaron the Tear and the Smile It'll show you how little we knew about the business. We started at 8 and ended at about 1 o'clock in the morning. On stage was Joe McFadden, Don Kavanagh, Chris Murphy, and we were back with Sean O'Reilly on the piano, Rupert Bent, who was the Jamaican ambassador's son on electric guitar, and Chuck Delfino's young son on drums. That was... Our Celtic with Kavanaugh and the harmonica and Chris Morphin. People were there at one o'clock. Like now, you do a concert in an hour and a half and you're out of there. But that was the thing. And then I guess the Chancy brothers are coming around and they're, we're meeting them and we're getting kind of encouragement from people. And so that was it. The Celts are on the road again. Did you record it as the cast? We recorded one album. Uh, don't ask me if I have it, because I, I might, and I might. I, this is the first time I've gone back on these stories. I remember being in Ireland with Aidan O'Hara, and he had photographs around him. I said, my God. He says, they were the good old days. And I said, Aidan, he wore this wear, you know. Yeah. Like, talk to me about golf now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, you don't have any TikTok videos up there or YouTube? No, no the I'll tell you where you can get them. <laughs> is Joe McFadden's niece, uh, Sophia McFadden, would have the music right. and all kinds of stuff. Right, right. We're going to take a little break um, and pause, and we might try and find some music, and you never know what we'll come up with, and we'll come back in a moment after You'll that. You'll find um, one of the Celts thing on YouTube, so the old boring. You're back listening to Irish Radio Candidate Home and Abroad, and we're chatting with Davy O'Donoghue, and Davy has been telling us about how he migrated from Limerick to England to Canada and got involved in the music business here with the Celts. Um, after the Celts, you say you, you spent eight months, or was it a, a short period, not eight months, a short period of time as uh, the new, as another band? Uh, the Celts broke up and went to Toronto, right, and kind of worked on my own. And then I. Uh, Norm Payne used to be with the Swing Time Aces, one of the former group. 
he talked to me on Friday night and he said, well, if you want to join, uh, we'll rehearse all day tomorrow on Sunday. And I said, that's out of the question. I'm going to Ottawa to do a concert. So we had a, a Jean Dench, a girl from Liverpool, and Eno O'Brien on accordion. So we opened up the Heritage again at them days it was one week one week option right and they kept us close to six months now are you professional at this stage yes yeah so you've yes. given up the day the day jobs are gone all oh, the day jobs <laughs> they come back into your life later on yeah but they're gone at this stage so yeah. you're 100% relying on music yeah so we've every night places packed because we were different all the other Irish groups were at the leather waistcoats and you know big macho men kind of come right. on Jesus that's here you sing we had two girls mini skirts Norm and I would change after the second set into different we had stage clothes we called them right and um, so if the guy was going out uh, for six pints he'd go to the other groups if he was coming out with his girlfriend or his wife he came to hear us right so we're doing a really good run and then um, there was the guy that ran the um, palace for hotel the, the hotels on the CP chain right, came in one night heard us went back to Calgary and got an agent to get in contact with us and Calgary now is a foreign land to yeah. the rest of them. I'll go back later I, so they were humming and harness too far away and so we cut up the deal they'd fly us out they put us in the hotel and we took Calgary by storm right. like every night there was people what, what flying year, year, it's called Ireland's traveling people now right what year you talk roughly in the, the, again the late 60s right. 70s so then uh, from that now we're booked in we're doing just the, the Palace Hotel the next time out then they put us on the rodeo circuit so we've done that for years so we do Calgary yeah. with a stampede we go to Lethbridge for hoop up days yeah. then we go on to uh, Regina I forget what days it was it was Red Deer uh, for Heritage Days I think then there was Klondike Days in Edmonton, out to BC or Vancouver for the CN, then on Lubbock, Texas, Dallas. Now, your audience at that time, like you're talking, you're, you're performing to Canadians. Yes. And so, are you, like, are they seeing some, are hearing? You're a freak act. Was, yeah. I remember when we were in Calgary, there's something like three families. Couples used to fly in every weekend from Winnipeg. They thought we were just cats meow because we were completely different. Yeah. yeah. And like we go to, I remember with the Celts, the first time we went into Peterborough, I'm Dublin back here, and we followed a stripper into the Grand Hotel. She was known as the Black Panther. There wasn't a man in Peterborough, I tell you, he's seen her, but every night there's lineups around the block. And we, now we have and to follow this with the wild colonial buy-in. They were lining up for you. <laughs> you see, so that's what we were fighting at that time. <laughs> I remember going into uh, Timmins, and 
I flew into Timmins, the rest are coming by car, and I'm sat at the bar. And I says, uh, you know, the usual, the hot like it here. And the guy says, you and the band. Says, yeah. Well, he said, the band room is down there. You know, I said, we don't need a band room. Well, he says, you know, put your drums in here. I said, we have no drums, no bass, no electric guitars. And you could see him saying, this is going to be a real poor weekend, tip-wise. He said, what do you got? I said, two microphones, four guys with this thing. First night. And in all these towns when you went in on Monday night, there's always a decent crowd because they're checking you out. Right. Because people drank every, they went out every night. Right. Because the musicians were out. The next night, they all go home and tell their parents and tell them. And again, you sing it to nobody. You can't say, let's hear you sing because nobody knows what you're singing. So, but what happened with the Celts? Uh, we got a gimmick that we didn't realize we had because Aidan O'Hara and I from Ireland, Alec Carson, Joe McFadden from Scotland. And I think we were in the Brockville singing and some guy comes to Joe and he says can I buy you a beer and Joe says I'll be right with you where are you he says I'm over at the Scottish side and from then on we used that you know I would introduce the song and I say something silly like you can always tell a Scotsman's house by the tile of paper hanging on the clothesline that type of humor yeah, yeah, back yeah, then yeah. you know it wasn't uh, Eddie Murphy later on kind yeah, of humor you, yeah. were, you know and that worked a charm. Some nights we'd be on stage 40 minutes before we'd sing a song, just right. throwing banter at one another and so. Um, you mentioned when you went up to Simmons and all that, that two microphones, four guys. Were you singing a cappella? Yeah. Well, well, not really. Aidan O'Hara, uh, nylon string guitar, right. uh, Joe on banjo. Right. That was it. Just That's it. Four part harmony and everything. Right. Fantastic. Uh, we had a really, really good group. So what we didn't have as a manager and the knowledge of what we, we didn't realize that we had. Yeah. So you must, before you had out on the road, you would have had to put a fair bit of effort into rehearsal because what you were doing demanded tight harmonies. Mm-hmm. That came from, again, going back out to Sean O'Reilly. If I sang something, somebody would jump in. Sean would put his hand up. You know, I'd like you to do this. I'd like you to do that. There's a, a lot of credit going there. So one of the things I found over the years from a different side of what I did was, um, as you mentioned there about finding a manager, right, that for not a lot of musicians, particularly, they don't know how to value themselves. I'll give you an example. We're singing. I mentioned the Savern Hotel. Yeah, we're there two nights. And the Irish Rovers come in. Right. The Irish Rovers are on the verge of breakup. To get the name of the guy that played the accordion, button key accordion, he had quit and was starting to sell shoes at Sears. Right. And one would think we would be happy that they'd break. The more there was out there, the bigger our product would be. And by the end of the week, uh, the unicorn broke. Right. They went from giving it up and breaking up to now the top of the charts. Yeah. The unicorn went nuts. It wasn't Irish. Uh, Sell Silverstein. Yes. Yeah. Who wrote a man named Sue and stuff, yeah. stuff like that. But there was a DJ in Detroit, and he kind of controlled like three states. 
and he heard that phone shell, and they were kind of buddies. Shell starts promoting it. Of course, every DJ then just domino effect. They yeah. were away to the race. And of course, radio was more powerful then than it is now. Oh yeah, R- radio was everything. Yeah, because there was nothing else. You yeah. don't have phones and all yeah. the other. Yeah, yeah. There was no Spotify. Yeah. Whatever that is, I agree with you. <laughs> I have a t- I have a phone in my pocket. I've made six phone calls in it in three years. I, I, I haven't you'll received. Forgive me, you'll forgive me here. It's, it's a streaming service that has nothing to do with the washroom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we went to Calgary. Calgary to me was. Um, I, now I'm going to go back to the Governor General when I arrived. He was uh, just newly installed, and he wanted Canadians to meet their first French Canadian. So we went by train. It took us three weeks to get to BC. So I seen all the Canada that way. Came back. We were back a few weeks. Then we done all of Quebec, and Ontario, going to all towns by train. And then within the six months, we went up north, then down east, and over to Newfoundland. So I seen all of Canada. Yeah. And then I started singing with the Celts, and, and especially the, the islands traveling people with the rodeo circuit, we're all over the place again. So I don't know where to go when the traveling no. people broke up. But where I came back to it was like when I said that musicians really don't have to price themselves. So, how did you figure out, or, or like you probably, if you, that's where the manager comes in and and do that yeah but people different managers handled I, I believe when the guys that got around the the uh, the Irish rovers I think they kind of said that we're going to give you $50 a week or something right and we'll be doing this and doing that and they accepted it but if you said that to, to me or Joe McFadden I'll tell you where to shove it you know right. I've earned it it's mine that right but also the challenge you guys would have had then was yeah um, as long as you got your your um, residencies for a week somewhere yeah. you guys were literally had to hustle your, for yourselves which yes. normally would be the manager's job yeah yeah so to get gigs from coast to coast yeah. uh, we never had to look for a job yeah uh, it always came at us because the, the hotel owners themselves with you know how are that group doing fine right you know so then you know you're in Sarnia uh, then somebody in Toronto wants you the next night next right. night you're on Thunder Bay right right um, so at some point then like you must have the, the urge to or the desire to settle down must have happened as well. Well, I got married in Calgary and uh, got married in the afternoon, sang that night, and a week later, we went up to Yellowknife and done the Northern tour and came back. I met Karen, I think, three weeks later. so you, you you went on half a honeymoon. You went on your own lift. I <laughs> thought it was. It's amazing the woman is still with me. But uh, the, uh, then um, we're, we're doing 
heavy truck and the two girls decided they had enough of that. So a couple of guys joined us and we we're back in Toronto and I think we went to Rochester. Then those two guys quit, Billy O'Neill and another guy. So the same night they quit, we got a phone call from Boston if we'd come down. They were in desperate need of a group. We said, we don't have a group, we only got two guys. They said, that'll do. So the first night, we're in the Hart and Bards. There's three of them. And the girl, the first dancer in Riverside, her brothers came in. Hessian? Oh, in, 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 in Riverdance. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they came in and uh, had the pint. And they come up to Nor Norm from Galway, so there's an affinity there. Uh, yeah. Boston is all Galway. This is a, uh, what's it? Oh, Jesus, you know. We're used to a group, and the other two guys just left last night. We just drove down from Rochester. We're trying to put it together. So let's go for a pint anyway. So we went down to um, the Irish Rover down in Boston. This place, to me, when I look back, was, was a 2000. It was marvelous. And every one of them was trotted right out of their mind because all the Gaelic football and hurlers they'd all play in the afternoon they'd all be down at 5 now we're talking almost 12 o'clock at night right. there's a guy up on stage and he is tearing the Jesus out of a, um, an accordion so Norm looks at me the man's pretty good next he puts the accordion down he picks up the guitar and mandolin and then a flute and the boys went and got him, comes down, and he's kind of, he has decided that the day is almost over. Now he's well in his cups. And he says, these boys says they're looking for a musician. I says, yeah, but <laughs> I didn't want to say that's the kind of stuff we want. And he says, well, I am your man. You know, dare me. I says, okay, Peter Hart and Bard tomorrow night, black pants, white shirts, you know. He, came out. he was absolutely brilliant. Halfway through the night, Norm gets a phone call. It's Dennis O'Gorman from Toronto. He's originally from Cork. He says, I heard you guys, the other two came back. He says, I heard you're looking for a guy. So on Wednesday night, we had a, a full group again. And now we're, now we're in the Irish thing down in do New York, Boston, right. Chicago, and all. So, David, back then, like now you can't go one side of the border or the other without so many formalities. You could just drive over and play down there, or. <laughs> <laughs> or will, will you be arrested if you answer that question? <laughs> I remember we're going to. We'll go down to, to, to Rochester with Billy O'Neill and he had a band and all the equipment. And this guy comes out. Where are you going? Rochester. What's doing all the equipment? We're going to play there. Do you have your papers? They're in Toronto. They'll be able to get them to you tomorrow, which was the lie. Pull over there. He tore the whole van out. This old guy comes on. He says to him, what are you doing? He says, they're a band. He says, looking for drugs. He says, you'll be lucky if you find a case of beer with those two guys there, Irish. <laughs> so, anyway, we says, well, we're playing at the Rochester, then you're welcome, you know. And you come to the door, ask for us, 
and we make sure you have a table and there'll be no cover charge because there was no cover charge anyway so. right. <laughs> two nights later it was about 12 of them arrived I said to the two guys behind the bar I said those guys are all at the border I said if you want bands down there I said you make sure those guys go home happy so we never trouble uh, Detroit was funny we go to Detroit wait in Windsor two cops would come up and Detroit follow us over <laughs> so it's all good we're going to take another little break <coughs> and um, we're going to when we come back we're going to move the clock forward um, and catch up with where things have gone and now that hey, you're retired so uh, things are a little calmer and we'll talk a little about that we're talking with Debbie O'Donoghue here in the um, Irish Radio Canada. Debbie, we've been hearing about your musical escapades, but you came back, you said, well, before we, we talk about you coming back and settling down in Ottawa, did you get to go home much in the, over the years? Not so much back in them days, but I, I was going back every year uh, until the pandemic. So actually this morning, Karen and I were uh, looking at flights to go in May. Right. And... Um, but what we have done is go out to uh, Calgary every year. Right. We drive across. Um, most people think we're nuts. They kind of remind us of our age that we neither one does want to be reminded of. But I love the drive and I love Canada. Yeah. I'm seeing it, going back with the Governor General, seeing it sing and all that. Yeah. I think if I had my brothers, every high school student, the minute they uh, graduate, I would send them right across Canada. Yeah. Because people will rant and rave about the lakes of Killarney and you name it. But the beauty of Northern Ontario, the prairies, the Rockies. Yeah, uh, when I went up to Cambridge Bay, um, and there's nothing there, it was the most beautiful place. It's, it's just it's up beyond the tree line, as far as when you're, you know, the last time we were out, we took us up the Poconos. Uh, that was three days later then they took us up to Wharton Lake they're trying to pick places we haven't been yeah. um, I love the I just love this country yeah. do you miss Ireland? my wife says I don't because I haven't left she says well I've left it but I haven't immigrated because two years ago my son got me IPTV yes or yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? It does. I haven't got it, but I know what you're talking about. And so uh, when we watch TV, it's nearly all Irish TV. Right. right. So all the traditional music. And if I have regrets in my life now, I'd love to be fluent in Gaelic. Because right. there's some fantastic uh, shows on TJ TJ Carr. TJ Carr. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think it's one of the things that you actually have to leave Ireland in many ways to appreciate how how, how rich and how much a definition of who we are the language is we just had lunch here the other day Pat Kelly and John Keane and Mike Rowan and we were talking about what Ireland gives to the world we were talking about uh, that new movie is out. Adventures of Minishare. Yeah, there's something seven. They're up for seven awards. Yes. And then we we got into other movies, that Irish movies. Then we're talking about Irish singers, and then we're talking about Irish actors. We're talking about athletes. Yeah. 
you know, it's phenomenal. If there's a donkey race, Ireland would win it. You know, like every time you look at it, there's somebody holding up a cup, holding up a medal. That's right. And it's yeah, and brilliant. The likes of Shane Lowry. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, in golf and Rory McIlroy, but Shane Lowry, I used to live in Tara. Yeah. And I knew Shane's father. And there was no golf club there no. at that time. And I used to go over to Moat to play. Cause, uh, but, and then there was Tullamore. But since then, but when, when Shane grew up, golf was not something that was in that no, area. No, just Gaelic football, right? Yeah. yeah. There's a pal that was on the after team. Yeah. Yeah, friend. Um, so, um, I know that the IPTV and, and even way back with uh, radio, I remember when um, Real Audio came in originally and you could listen to RTE or the Real Midwest Radio or something I used to listen to. Yeah, to get to out of Ballyhonas. Yeah. 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 Do you know Aidan O'Hara? I can't say I do, but I do know an Aidan O'Hara. There was an Aidan O'Hara at school, or there was Terry O'Hara was at school. I think. And well, could be him well. because he yeah. went to school. I, uh, <laughs> he was different. I, uh, <laughs> uh, we, we weren't going to talk about that, but one of the reasons you and I were having a chat was you got to celebrate your 80th birthday this year. Yep. And of that, what you spent 60 of them nearly here in, in Canada. Yep. But um, when I asked you, do, do, do you miss um, Ireland? The other side of that is, you know, when you came to settle down and you settled back down here in Ottawa. You've I been, came back to Ottawa, then I, I joined another band, Jogger Punch. Right. So that was we. Weekends, right. we've done that for 20 years or something. Right. So, and you've seen great changes in Canada, in the Irish in Canada, in because so much has changed, and it's different. It was great, like. A guy I sang with for 20 years, Cal Cummings. He comes from Cuyo, it's just up Quebec side. Yeah. I remember going up there, uh, not to play, just got to have a few pints with, with Cal, and about 20 local musicians had come in, most of them fiddle players. And they would play Irish music. Right. That would have been up from Gavin, Gavin's up from Gavin's. They'd play yeah. from there till morning. Right. Now they. It was all Irish music that was handed down to them, you know, they had different names for it, but it was great stuff. A number of years ago, I met a guy, there was a guy here, there was a convention here in Ottawa, it was First Nations, and there was music up down at the Western, and there was this guy, and he was up in the box, and we were talking about Seamus Begley, fantastic box player, but this guy was up, and he was on the squeeze box. Nice said to him, where'd you get the music? Oh, he said, old native tune. Cumberland Strait, he called it. But there's pockets. You had Quio. I remember we were playing in Peterborough, and there was a place called Duro and Inishmore. Right. These were completely Irish communities. There's another place. You know a young Maher that plays with Paddy Kelly sometimes? Yeah, yeah. He comes from a place called Shannon. Outside That's right, Shannon. Like like Maureen, Maureen's yeah. was the mayor up there. No, I'm talking... 50 years ago yeah. but you went into Shannon and yeah. you thought you were at home in Castle Connell even yeah. the accent yeah. uh, now with the years gone by and I know Quio has changed yeah. you know to put the highway and everybody shoots by it 
whereas before everybody would stop in for a pint and gabbins and before you know it you're there till t- Tuesday right but even up the valley and I know a lot has changed but when you get up around Erinville Dacre Douglas um, St. Patrick's yeah. all that area up there a huge Irish community yeah. well you take Cal Cummins you can sit him over there and he can sing Irish songs till morning yeah and he, he would have known them before he met me yeah yeah, and you know, it was handed down. He, yeah. He's got a brilliant musician, great, great guy to play with. The other guy is um, Gary Many, plays fiddle here. He knows Irish tunes inside out. Yeah. A lot of it he would have robbed off a darn Kavanagh. Yeah. Kavanagh loved yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when did you pick up the golf club? Oh, I'm <laughs> I don't want to say I've always played golf. <laughs> Most people who think I have yet to learn. Actually, my son gave me a, a putter for Christmas. And I says, a putter? I said, I think I have three of them. He says, I know. <laughs> I have one. <laughs> brother-in-law had thrown it away, I think, 50 years ago. I have a kind of a one. It's kind of bent. And oh, yeah. So... He says, I said, everybody asks about that. He said, they're kind of laughing at you, Dad. He said, but they won't. You know. So anyway. As long as the ball goes in the hole, who cares if they're laughing? Then I don't even care if it gets yeah. to the hole. I just, I just love golf. I just yeah. love just getting out there. And if you're in the right company, it's absolute brilliance. You know. So from May to October, you'd be on the golf course? I get about 70 games in. Two or three times a week. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually. Um, I work as a marshal for about six hours at Mandalay, and I get yeah. free golf. Right, right. And I take advantage. I'm of sure it. you do. Yeah, but it, it gets you out with like-minded people. Right. You know, and you have to do something because with all the Irish pubs that's around, there's no Irish music. It's, yeah, it, I know. Because if anyone hears what's in the background for while we've been chatting, yeah, it's, yeah. And, but it's disappeared. And I, any musicians that's really into it are gone underground. They're gone into sessions yeah. instead of you know. Yeah. Um, if you talk to a musician and say you've got to work six nights a week and do a matinee on Saturday, they would tell you you're nuts. You know. Well, the other thing I found, and this was in here, that if. Um, you put on a gig in Ottawa um, and you bring in be it the likes of even the late Seamus Pegley Um, unless he was on the stage of the NSC promoted by the NSC you'd be lucky if you got 100 people to come up yeah because it's too it's too now it's gone too Irish well no but I'm like in in a way it's, it's not that it's gone too Irish I think it's that the audience um, want the endorsement yeah. of the likes of the NSC, and if it's got the endorsement, you'll get three thousand in the in the auditorium, yeah. and it's an unknown name. But you can bring a known name to St. Bridget's, yes, and you'd be lucky if you get a hundred. Do you get St. Bridget's? At, um, it, it amazes me that the we'll say the breakfast are lined up. You know, the, the boys up there, Dennis Alexander is one of the best fiddlers in the world. Yeah. He is one of the best fiddle players and uh, fiddle makers. A looter, is that what they call it? I think so, yes. Yeah. He wins first place. Luthier. Luthier. But he wins, I think, 
five times he's won yeah. the top prize in North America, yeah. including all the states. And um, oh, what's the name of the guy that sits alongside him? Um, Dan McRae. Is That's there. him, and then the other guy that plays Benjamin and Flute. Uh, oh, it's Frank Cassidy. Frank Cassidy. Well, Frank's a brilliant musician. So, and the two of them are up there. Like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm in awe, and I'm down yeah. at that breakfast, and I'm looking yeah. around, and people are nattering away, and they don't seem to realize what's in front of them. An appropriate time, actually, to acknowledge that um, sad passing of Dan McHale. Yeah. I didn't know. But Dan would perform with that group on the Sunday yeah. morning, gave up his time, yeah. and helped uh, create an environment and an atmosphere that encouraged people to come along. And it was all, all you were paying for was the breakfast, so yeah. here you were getting class entertained. Dan, Dan sat in with the Jug of Punch a few times. Yeah. I, I always liked Dan singing the Rock Sabon. Right. He's the only man I've ever heard sing it live. Right. Yeah. Right. And he surprised the hell out of me when he said, I think I'll do the Rocks of Bond. Blew my mind away. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I came across you, David, first, I, I vaguely remember when I came over um, one day, I think, I was, um, when I was in the furniture business. But then we came across each other again when you were in, um, you were working down at Preston for Preston Hardware. Yeah, and you were great help to us. Um, so, uh, 16 years. Yeah. I love that. Uh, they treated me right um, it was a simple premise you know everybody can sell you a hammer but not everybody can explain to you what the hammer is for you know Cause I remember before that I was on the road uh, doing uh, pharmacies selling the stuff that's in the front and I went into a pharmacy in Belleville and I said to the manager how is business he said I was I said, did you ever think you were in that? Because I never sold much to this guy anyway, so I wasn't afraid to talk to him. He says, why? I said, just walk to your store. I says, a woman is asking for soap out there. And three people have pinted it to her. I says, I know a hardware store in Ottawa. And I said, if you pint it like that, the boss will remind you that you're pinting to a door and you can take one of them. I says, you ask for a hammer. So the guy brings it over and we've got a hammer for $19 and we got one for 119 and we also got one for 1019 Can we tell you the difference? And I says, that's what they're selling. They're not selling the hammer. They're selling service, you know. And I said, that runs through the store. So, so I enjoyed my time in Little Italy. It taught me how to drink wine, appreciate Italian music. <laughs> so, David, we're going to have to wrap up. David, it's been a real pleasure chatting, which has been a real pleasure getting to spend some time with you and getting to know you a little better. Because I, 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 we, we I, just met, I just met myself for the first we, time. We haven't had time. I've never had time to sit down and chat with you before. Well, you come over here every Saturday. I'm never here, you see. That's <laughs> oh, it's good to talk.